Thank you, Dodsworth, for that beautiful song and beautiful reminder. <clears throat> when uh, when they uh, when the Dodsworths make their CD, that song's got to be on it. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Second Chronicles chapter fourteen. Second Chronicles chapter fourteen. We have been studying the kingship of Asa these last several weeks, and uh, Lord willing, we intend to finish the message this morning. We started off on, on the negative, didn't we? We started off that he, with the fact that he finished poorly, and uh, we, we talked about the three critical mistakes that he made. Uh, he rejected God's rule, he rejected God's representative, and he rejected God's remedy. And uh, when we get to that place, we will find our commitment to the Lord in serious peril. <clears throat> and Asa, Asa didn't end well. But he started well. He started well. And uh, one of the things that, one of the reasons we started with the negative is because we want to we want to really um, focus in on the fact that it doesn't matter how you start; it's how you finish. And uh, if we if we will if Asa would have continued how he started, if he would have finished that way, his story would have ended so much differently. <clears throat> we shared how he sought the Lord, and we shared about how he uh, was strong in the Lord how he served the Lord and how he was satisfied with the Lord or by the Lord and uh, how that those things need to be true of us as well. And uh, we hope to finish this morning as we think about our commitment to the Lord. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Second Chronicles 14, we'll begin reading in verse 2. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he took away the altars of the strange gods in the high places, and break down the images and cut down the groves. And commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers, and to do the law and the commandment. Also he took out, away out of the, all the cities of Judah the high places and images, and the kingdom was quiet before him. And he built fenced cities in Judah. The land had rest, and he had no war those years, because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said unto Judah, Let us build these cities, and make about them walls and towers, gates and bars, while the land is yet before us. Because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought him, and he hath given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Let's uh, skip down to chapter uh, 15. And the Spirit of the of God came upon Azariah the son of Obed. And he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. Now for a long season Israel hath been without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel, they and sought him, he was found of them. And in those times there was no peace, 
to him that went out nor him that came in, but great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries. And the nation was destroyed of nation and city of city. God did vex them with all adversity. Be strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Obed the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin, out of the cities in which he had taken from Mount Ephraim, and renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh and out of Simeon, for they fell to him out of Israel in abundance when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. And they gathered themselves together in Jerusalem in the third month, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa. And they offered unto the Lord the same time of the spoil which they had brought, seven hundred oxen and seven thousand sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul, that whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great whether man or woman. And they swear unto the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with coronets. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with their heart and sought him with their whole heart, whole desire, and he was found to them. And the Lord gave them rest round about. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you for those that set an example for us. Asa, so much positive. And we thank you, Lord, that we can follow after the good things and avoid the bad. I ask that you'd anoint these lips of clay one more time as we try to rightly divide the word of truth. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. I have often thought about what has now almost become cliche in our circles. I, I, don't, I, I try to avoid cliches. I try to avoid those things that have been common and things that, are, that a lot of people say. And uh, just, just simply because when we hear something we've heard so many times, so oftentimes we shut our brains off instead of turning them on. But there's been asked many, many times, and, and, and I think there's some validity to the question, and I think we should ask it of ourselves. If we were put on trial for our faith, is there enough evidence to convict us? What would your defense attorney say to try to get you off? That's kind of what I was thinking about is how would my defense attorney operate? What would he try to do to get me off from the charge? He's, he's silenced me. He's, he's, he's required me to, to not testify in my own defense. The judge has, has overruled my desires, wants the defense attorney to have every opportunity to win the case. I have nothing that I can say, nothing that I can do. The defense attorney speaks for me, and all he's going to do is to prove that I'm innocent of being a Christian. Those are a little different parameters, aren't they? How would my defense attorney respond to the accusations of the prosecuting attorney? 
what would he say? I suppose that he, uh, the, he might suggest, first of all, that, that going to church was just something to do for, you know, relationships. And, you know, it was just a thing that, uh, you know, uh, like a country club. And going to church was just a thing to do to meet, uh, to meet with people and to talk with them. It, we had similar interests. It really doesn't mean anything. People join clubs all the time. Wow. I think I would kind of cringe a little bit as I heard my defense attorney say that, but, you know, there's a lot of people that go to church who aren't Christians. That's true. There's a lot of people who sit in our pews who, who really aren't invested in this way. They're, they're here, but either they're not in spirit or not in their minds, distracted by their thoughts, distracted by things. They're... So I can't argue with him. The, and so the, the, so the defense attorney might go on. He said, and now to this accusation about you know, uh, his giving, you know, there, there's a tax benefit to giving. Wow. That's true. People give to charities all the time. And we get a, those of us that, that use the tithe envelopes or checks, you get something from the treasurer. You probably have already received it that says how much you gave so that you have evidence for the IRS. Wow. Can't argue. Can't argue with, with that, that. The defense attorney, the, the prosecutors, you know, kind of flustered a little bit. I'm a little flustered. I want to be convicted. You want to be convicted of being a Christian, but here this defense attorney, he's real good. He, went, he was top of his class. Well, what about what about the way they dress? What, what you know, the prosecutor might ask how what they they dress different. They they have a little different beliefs and and they live those out. And I suppose the defense attorney would say, you know, people dress different ways in order to fit in with the groups that they're with. People talk different when when they're with certain groups. They uh, you know. People do things just to fit in. You know, uh, you look at some of the people dressed at the mall, and they're dressed really, really strange. And it's not because of religious conviction. It's because they want to fit in with their group. And just because, just because my client dresses strange doesn't mean that anything. It just wants to fit in with the group. Wow. This defense attorney's good, isn't he? Man. What is, what is going to be the thing that trips up the defense attorney? What's going to be the thing that's going to keep him from getting me off, getting you off, that they can't just explain away? We've been talking about Asa's commitment to the Lord and how he sought the Lord and how he uh, uh, was satisfied by the Lord and down through the list. But, but there's two areas yet that we want to talk about. The, the first being that he sacrificed before the Lord. 
he sacrificed before the Lord. He gave an offering of 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. Now he's king and he's got a lot of money. But I think that because the writer of this text included the number, I believe that it was a significant sacrifice. A significant sacrifice. Do you know what I've come to realize is that most of us don't know what it means to sacrifice. We don't know what it means to sacrifice. Here's what we often do. We give God the extra. We have extra, and so we give it to God. Now, yes, he gets his 10%, and there are times that we really, really, really could use that 10%, but, you know, we'll, we'll do that, and we'll call that a sacrifice. But, man, I'll tell you what, it's really, really hard to call it a sacrifice when God gave me the health and the strength to be able, and the privilege of having a job, and I think about so many people in the world who wish they could have jobs and don't have jobs. When I think of people in India who take cow dung and they make it into uh, patties in order to be used for fuel and they try to sell that to try to get some kind of, of money. When I think of those that are of the lowest caste of India who take mud and they make them into literally mud pies and sell them because people will eat that, those mud pies for whatever nutritional value they can get out of them. When I was to Mexico City in, oh, I believe it was 2000, it, then the numbers were 30,000 people who lived in the Mexico City dump. When I think about those raw needs... And I realize how much God's given me. The fact that he asked for only 10% is a pretty good bargain. It really is. I'm not saying you don't have financial burdens. And I'm not saying that you don't have struggle. And I'm not saying sometimes it isn't hard to give the 10%. But I have found that the 90% always goes much further than the 100% ever did. I don't know how God does that. But he does. He does. And if you don't, listen, I'm not, I'm not one of those money-hungry pastors. I'm, I'm just trying to help you. Put him to the test. Do it one year. Do it one year. And see if your doctor visits don't go down. Don't see if somehow the, the food that you were going to buy anyways is on sale. See if your vehicle doesn't break down as much as it did the year before. Somehow, some way, God does something to make that 90% go further than the 100%. And so how can I call that a sacrifice? I really can't. I get the better end of that deal. So, uh, you know, uh, you, uh, the, we give more. We give uh, tithes and offerings and we give more. But what do we do? We get, again, we give out of our abundance. And we have so much, don't we? 
here's something real, really scary for us to think about. The poorest person here is probably in the top 5% in the world in, in income. We are the wealthy as it looks at the whole world. And we have closets full and we have cupboards that are full and freezers that are full. And when God asks for extra, we take it out of our extra. You know, it's interesting. You go to, uh, go to camps, and, and, and we've been to, to several camps. And, and you know, the, the moderator gets up there and is begging for money. i just be honest. I hate that. It's not the moderator's fault. It's, if people would just give the very first weekend and get it over with, we could have camp. But we've got to sit and beg and beg and beg, and then... And it's just, oh, I hate it. I just really do. But they'll get up there and they'll say, now, if, if, would anybody be willing to give up one pop a week? And if you would put aside 50 cents a week, could, would anybody give $25? Or how about someone give up one Starbucks a week? Can anybody give us $5? And I... And I appreciate their creativity, but I would love for you to go to Nairobi, Africa and try that. Really. I sacrificed a Starbucks a week for Jesus. Hallelujah. My defense attorney is going to say, he gave up his Dunkin' Donuts. That's what I like, but they don't have those around here for some reason. But he gave up his Dunkin' Donuts once a week. He got it to six other days a week, or five other days a week. He gave up his Saturday one. But it, he doesn't do a Sunday because not buying on Sunday is such a sacrifice. But he gave up one coffee a week. That's my sacrifice for camp. So I can give 250 in the offering plate. Folks, we don't know about sacrifice. We really don't. And I'm not trying to guilt you. We shouldn't feel guilty for God's blessings on us. We shouldn't feel guilty for that. That's not what I'm trying to do this morning. I'm not trying to say, you know, it's, it, it's terrible that you did that or terrible that, that you, you agreed to give up your, your pop or your coffee or your whatever in order to be able to give. I'm trying to help us to understand we don't know sacrifice. We just don't. If... The closest thing that I think that we would get to sacrifice is we sacrifice our time. It's probably the closest. But here's the problem. The reason that for so many of us that sacrificing our time is such a big deal is because we're too busy doing things that are unimportant anyways. We have filled our days and filled our hours with things that are not for our benefit. And I am not talking about your family night. I'm not talking about fellowshipping and, and uh, birthday parties. 
That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about hours on the job that are unnecessary and unproductive and keeps us away from our family and keeps us away from church and keeps us away from things so just so that we can have extra when we already have so much. When I'm talking about all those extra things that we have that we say yes to, that we should say no to, but we say yes to them even though the benefit to ourselves and to our, those that we care about is minimal at best. We're terrible at keeping our schedules filled with our priorities. And our kids suffer for it, and our, our spouses suffer for it. And then the pastor says, we, we need someone to volunteer we need someone to step up and to fill this role. Oh, well, I'm already putting 80 hours in this with all the things that I have to do between job and, and, uh, and, and these other things. But all right, I'll make a sacrifice. Maybe it wouldn't be a sacrifice if our priorities were a little better. I'm not trying to be hard this morning. I'm just asking, does God have control over your calendar? Does God have say-so over your calendar? And are the things on your calendar really the things that are important? And please, please, please don't come leave this place saying that you need less uh, relaxation time or less exercise or less whatever it is that we call fun. Because if there's anything Americans are terrible at is having fun. Of the industrialized nations, Americans have the fewest holidays of any of them. We work more hours per week than all but just a handful of countries. And many of us work through our lunches. We are pathetic. <laughs> At least one admits it. <laughs> We just really are. As Americans, we have made being productive the most important thing. We've become human doings rather than human beings. And we measure another person's worth to us by how much they do for us. Not their just being present with us. And so when someone has a problem and when they go through grief, we say things like, I can't help them. I don't know what to say because you're a human doing and you don't understand and we, I don't understand that it's not the saying, it's the being. It's just being there with them that matters. It's not having the right words. It's not right the doing the right thing. It's just being with them. What am I talking about? I'm talking about sacrificing to the Lord. We don't know how to do that anymore. And we consider what we do sacrifices when really we are coming from an impoverished state of doing, doing, doing when God has called us to be loving, loving, loving. Paul tells us that we're supposed to, in Romans 12, 1, that we should give, offer the sacrifice of ourselves, a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. You know, we don't even know what that means anymore. We think that, that what that means is that we look different and we talk different, but the defense attorney's already said we do that to fit in. What does it mean to offer the sacrifice of ourselves? Spotless, blameless, that's what holy means there. What does it mean for us to get on the altar? Here's the great sacrifice that we as wealthy Americans have to do and it have to get to. We have to learn to sacrifice our own ambitions, our own wants, and that voice in our head that keeps telling us do more, do more, do more. And I try so hard to not fall prey to that as your pastor. To, to, so many times it's easy as a pastor to say, you've got to do more for God. And I try to avoid that so much because, listen, it's not about doing more for God. It's about being more for God. It's about being, being and not doing. Does that mean we will do? Yes, we will do as a result of what we are. What you are determines what you do. You do not feed a lion carrots. The lion's being demands meat. You do not feed a rabbit meat. Its being determines what it does, what it consumes. You do not uh, put a, a rabbit personality, a person who's more timid, and try to get them to do something that is in front of a thousand people. I already got a couple of, no, no, don't put me up in front of a thousand people. Don't do that. <laughs> Now, God may, may encourage you to do that, and God may indwell you with his presence so that his being can, can strengthen you to do that. But folks, that's really what sacrifice being ourselves is. Is God, if you want me to do something outside of who I am, then you be within me so that I can be outside of who I am. Because I can tell you right now that if God hadn't called me and hadn't indwelled me, I would never have been a preacher. The first time I preached, I was so sick, I thought I was going to throw up. And now you can't get me to shut up. <laughs> what happened? I sacrificed who I was to the presence and empowering of God. And you might be timid, and it might be hard for you to tell someone about revival and invite them in. It might be difficult for you to have someone sit at your table that doesn't know the Lord and you're not related to Him. But oh, that God would help us to sacrifice our being so that we can be what He wants us to be.
What are you sacrificing for the Lord? What, what is it that the defense attorney would say, but look at this sacrifice? Folks, it was no sacrifice for us to move 1,400 miles to come here. I know it, we thought it would be at the time, but God has blessed us so much in our coming that I can't call it a sacrifice. I remember, it, this is months back, but I remember just praying and telling the Lord, Lord, I'm just, I, I can't even call it a sacrifice. I'd be embarrassed to call it a sacrifice. You've just blessed us beyond what we ever imagined. I, can, I don't even consider it a sacrifice. Are there times that it's difficult? Yeah. Is there times that, that it's expensive to fly back to? Yeah. But how can I call those sacrifices when he's blessed me so much? I'll be honest with you this morning. I have a hard time being able to pinpoint something that I can say I've really sacrificed for the Lord. Because every time God has asked me for something and I've given it to him, he's given me so much back in return, it seems embarrassing to call it a sacrifice. What am I going to point to God and say I really sacrificed for? Uh, I sacrificed a, 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 a career of making money to go to the ministry. That's my great sacrifice. The Lord gave me my wife and my family. I would never have met them if I'd have gone off and done those things. Am I going to call that a sacrifice? What am I going to point to on that great judgment day and say, Lord, I sacrificed this for you? I don't feel this morning like I have anything that I can say that I've given God that he hasn't given me much, much, much more in return. This morning I hang my head in shame to say I have no sacrifices to my name. Because he giveth more and more and more. And every time I try to give the Lord something, it just seems like he just starts giving me more in return. And how am I supposed to call it a sacrifice? Brother Wes, how can I? I can't do it this morning. And I'm not saying that some of you are, 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 don't have different circumstances. I'm not saying some of you don't have sacrifices to your name. I'm just talking about me this morning. I can't claim anything as a sacrifice for God has given me so much more. And really, I think Ace is in the same boat. Here he had, he, he, he'd sacrificed these, these sheep and these, these oxen. But God had given him peace. Where there had been wars, where his dad had fought wars and battles. While men were dying on battlefields. God gave him peace. And folks, I'd much rather sacrifice sheep and oxen than to sacrifice people. I think... I think this morning that if you asked Asa if you could, he'd say it was no sacrifice. I'd much rather give up 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep than to give up 7,000 men on a battlefield. Or more. I'm just trying to help us this morning. We've got to change the way we think about sacrifice.
I really do. But I'm making you sacrifice your morning. This we're getting right out. Man, it's going fast. <laughs> Not only did Asa sacrifice to the Lord, and I'm going to say this one, but you listen. Don't shut me off, okay? You're going to want to shut me off real quick. Don't don't shut me off. All right. Let me explain. But Asa shouted for the Lord. Asa shouted for the Lord. Now, folks, I suspect there are some of you I will not hear in this world ever to shout. Someone could step on your toe and you won't shout. You just don't shout. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's not, I'm not talking about a whoop and a holler. Although I believe that Asa did and the people did. What I'm talking about is a physical demonstration of devotion to God. A physical demonstration of devotion to God. I'm talking about a hand raised. Tears running down your cheeks. Because the Spirit has come in the service. And you're just moved on by the presence of Almighty God. It might be a quiet walk around the, the, the church. It might be a waving of the hanky. I don't know what it will be for you and your personality, but I believe that every single child of God in the presence of Almighty God has to have some kind of physical manifestation that they have connected with God. There must be something. It's part of the reason we testify it's, it's, what is it? It's, it's a statement. It is a public statement that I'm on God's side. That I'm on God's side. And God has blessed me so much that I can't hold it inside anymore. Folks, this is, this is why, I, uh, why I believe that, that our holiness standards need to come from the inside out. I don't want people dressing like us to fit in. I want what to, ha to happen is the Holy Spirit starts cleaning the inside out, making holy on the inside, and all of a sudden something happens and the outside starts becoming holy. It's why I don't go up to people and say, you know, you really ought to change this or that or the other thing. I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit to do something about it. Now, if you're backing up on light, then we might have a conversation. If suddenly you're going in reverse. And you know what's amazing? It's invariably... When things are going wrong on the inside, it comes on the outside. Somehow, some way, it will show up. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, they come to church and they've got a plain wedding band on. It's just plain. It's nothing major. It's just, just, just you know, little thing. Now, how did I get on standards? I'll tell you how I got on standards. Because what is on the inside creeps onto the outside. 
Now, you can dress the upside up, outside all up, and try to cover up what's on the inside, but it'll come out. It'll show up. You can fool a lot of people for a long time, but it, it gets hard after a while. It'll start creeping up. It happens in the good and it happens in the bad. And when we get in the presence of God, I believe with all my heart there has to be something that happens on the outside that demonstrates that God is doing something on the inside. And it might feel different. It might be different for you. I know. I can tell when I'm about ready to shout. It feels like a tea kettle. I feel the pressure building up. And I just know I can feel it kind of building up. Like, man, if they keep singing that song, they sing another verse of that. If they repeat that verse, something's going to give. I know it. I can tell. It's not a show. It's not something I'm putting on. I can just feel the presence of God doing something, and there's just a pressure that builds. And if I hold it in, it's going to hurt something. That's how I experience it. You may experience it differently. You might just be overwhelmed by God's presence that starts leaking out. Folks, it's not, your experience and my experience don't have to be the same. But what I'm trying to say is that you ought to have some kind of experience. There's some people that just glow. They, they don't cry necessarily, and they don't make a scene, but they just glow. I don't know how that works, but you can just look over at them, and it's the Holy Spirit's just pouring out of every pore in their body, and they're just glowing, and you know they got it. When's the last time that you felt God's presence so real that it's had to come to the outside. And I'd like the defense attorney to try to explain away that. Not for show. Not rolling around on the ground looking like an, uh, a fool for the sake of, of putting on a show. If you feel that and God's put it on you, roll around, I guess. Ladies, careful about that. I don't believe God wants us to be immodest or in, uh, uncareful. But I do think it ought to come out if it's real. You know, we, we've had a history with wildfire, haven't we? Let me, just, let me just speak to wildfire just a little bit. The pendulum has swung in our movement to the other side where we're so afraid of wildfire that when the real fire comes, we've quenched it. We've quenched it. When there's real fire, you will see wildfire. It always, always happens. Maybe not every single service, but invariably it happens. Because people are emotional, and also people like to look good. They want to fit in. And wildfire is something that happens just as... Jesus told the parable of the sowing of the wheat and that the enemy came in and sowed the tares in. When there's real fire, the enemy will sow wildfire in it also. Sometimes it will be because of the enemy and sometimes it's just immaturity on the individual's part. It happens. 
We need love and grace for those that, are, that exhibit wildfire. But folks, we can't quench. We, what we've done is we've tried to rip out the tares and we've ripped out the wheat also. That's the state of the, I'm not even to the state of the church address, but that's the state of the church. Not just our church, but our movement as, as in general, as a whole. We have ripped, tried to rip up the tares of wildfire that we have torn up real fire. And we're not seeing the shout of the Lord that has been throughout Scripture. I mean, brother, they shouted when they crossed over. Like you testify, they sang, but they also shouted. Gideon, they shouted. They shouted here and, and Asa's. There's David danced before the Lord. He was so excited, he started dancing. And yes, he got a little immodest in the process, but it was holy and it was pure. And God punished Michael for her inappropriate response to David. I wonder if we've lost some of our fire because of our inappropriate responses to, to fire and to real fire. Look, I don't want us to start pretending something or that we don't have and I'm not, I'm not asking us to start wildfire so that we can get real fire back. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that we get before God and say, God, if you need to relight the fire in my heart, if the, the pilot light's gone out, rekindle it. I'm not asking to shout. I'm not asking to run aisles. I'm not asking to wave a hanky or kick off my shoes or anything else. I'm not asking for a particular demonstration. I'm just asking that you'll so fill me that it has to come out some way in a way that honors you. I'm not prescribing, Lord, how to, that you come, and I'm not prescribing how I behave. I'm just asking that you relight the pilot light of my heart. Because I fear for too many of us, the pilot lights have been gone out. Do you know that gets dangerous as the gas begins to fill your house? And I feel like perhaps some have suffocated and lost their way spiritually because too many pilot lights have gone out. May God help us this morning to refine our shout. And please, please, not, it's not the shout. It is the physical demonstration that God has manifested himself in your heart, whatever it might be. I'm not asking you to behave in a way that's contrary to your nature or contrary to how God would have you to behave. I'm asking you simply to allow God to have the privilege and the right to come out on the outside. That we just don't hide him in our heart, but that he's on display for the world to see. How would the defense attorney do in your case? Does he get you off? Or do you get convicted? I want my shout, I want my sacrifice to be so clear that they can't explain it away. That they say, 
after deliberating for just a few moments, the jury comes back and say, there's the person who's fully committed to the Lord. He's fully committed. He's fully committed. He's guilty on all counts. Because one day we'll stand before the Lord. And we're going to want to be convicted that day. May God help us. May God help us in our sacrifice and in our shout. Let's stand together. Brother Alex, would you dismiss us in prayer?